All right, everybody, I want to take a minute to tell you about Corbin, Kentucky, home to adventure, history, and hospitality. Nestled in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains in southeastern Kentucky and conveniently located off Interstate 75 by the shores of the pristine Laurel Lake, Corbin is the perfect adventure destination. It's home to Cumberland Falls and the only moonbow in the Western Hemisphere. Corbin is also the birthplace of KFC. You can still eat where it all began and tour the state-of-the-art museum to learn the unique history of Colonel Sanders. Stop by Sanders Park and take a selfie with a bronze statue of the Colonel. Then spend a day enjoying the races at Cumberland Run, Corbin's new thoroughbred harness racetrack. And if you're a food lover, Corbin is definitely the place for you. Downtown is full of locally owned restaurants, not to mention lots of great shopping. When you bring your travelers, you'll find a warm welcome because Corbin loves company. To learn more, follow the Corbin Tourism and Convention Commission on Facebook or visit CorbinKYTourism.com. Well, hey there, everybody. Welcome to Gather and Go, the podcast that helps you plan, promote, and lead better trips. I'm Brian Jewell. I am your host, and I am super thrilled that you decided to spend some time with us today. And as always, our promise to you is that we are going to do everything we can to make that investment of your time worth your while. Now, usually on the show, I bring you interviews and conversations with uh, tourism leaders, entrepreneurs, innovators, thought leaders, people that I think have a lot of value to add to you as a travel planner or a travel promoter. Today, we're going to do something a little bit interesting and that I hope you will enjoy. Today, I'm going to share some content that I developed and shared recently at the Southeast Tourism Society's Domestic Showcase Uh, That was an event that took place in middle of April in Huntsville, Alabama, and the folks there were kind enough to invite me to come and give a presentation on tourism trends and new horizons that were going to be affecting the tourism industry as we look ahead into the rest of 2023 and 2024 and beyond. Well, I had a fantastic time uh, speaking to that group and uh, actually had a fantastic time doing a bunch of research into the trends uh, that are going on both within tourism and trends from outside tourism, trends in our culture at large that are actually going to be impacting the way we do business going forward. So today I'm going to share with you the content of that presentation. Uh, It's titled Travolution cultural trends that are reshaping tourism. And just to give you a bit of a context, uh, this presentation was part of a breakfast educational session at the conference. And breakfast took place in this ballroom that was configured in kind of an unusual way. It was spread really wide uh, and really shallow. So uh, attendees were spread across a wide uh, sort of breadth of the room. You'll hear me make reference to that. So I just wanted you to understand why I'm talking about the room during the presentation. So here it is, my presentation, Travolution, from the Southeast Tourism Society's Domestic Showcase. I'm so glad that you decided to wake up early and come to breakfast, even after Kyle kept you out late last night, uh, because I wanted you to be here because I wanted to have a really important discussion with you about your pants. And I know that that might sound a little bit awkward, but I promise it's only going to be the tiniest bit awkward. 
And I know it sounds like maybe it doesn't have a whole lot to do with tourism, but if you will hang with me for a few minutes, we're going to get there together. Can you do that? Are you willing to go on this journey with me? All right, so what I had planned to do before I got here and saw this room, I had planned at this point uh, to have everybody kind of look around the room and look at each other and look at each other's pants. That's going to be really tough to do. So just imagine in your mind's eye, keep it clean, but imagine the pants that your colleagues and friends around the room are wearing. And imagine what those pants might have looked like 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. And there are two things I want to draw your attention to. Number one, there are many, many women in this room who are wearing pants. And even just a couple of generations ago, the idea that a woman would be in public at a professional event wearing pants, well, that was downright scandalous, wasn't it? Wouldn't have happened. The other thing I would invite you to notice or to imagine in your mind's eye is that there might be a few uh, bold, daring, forward-thinking people in the audience today who chose blue jeans for their pants. And again, we're not very far at all removed from a time when nobody would have thought about going to a professional event in a pair of jeans. I'm wearing my favorite pair of Levi's today. Uh, I, I was having a conversation with my mom a, a couple weeks ago. She is, let's say, a little bit old-fashioned when it comes to clothes. I was telling her that I was going to come to this event and speak to you guys, and she asked me the question that she always asks me when I'm going anywhere, which is, well, what are you wearing? And I said, well, well I'm going to wear what I always wear, button-down shirt, nice vest, my favorite jeans. And she shook her head and she said, Brian, I cannot believe you would speak to that group in those pants. <laughs> I said, Mom, I got to wear some pants or they won't let me in the room. Oh, if you didn't like that, I I've got bad news. That's the best joke I've got. <laughs> it's all downhill from here. But it's interesting to, to think about how we got here. How did I get here today in these pants? And the story of the pants I'm wearing today starts way back in 1873 with a guy named Levi Strauss who discovered that this fabric called denim made a really excellent work pant. And so for about 70 years, he and the company he created sold pants, mostly in the Western U.S., to people like gold prospectors, ranch hands, cowboys, laborers. For 70 years... Now, as time went on, more and more Americans became aware of jeans, but they did not catch on outside that small audience. Like, people knew about them. People had seen them maybe in movies, they'd seen them on TV, but nobody was running out to JCPenney to try to buy blue jeans. It wasn't a thing. So for 70 years, jeans just kind of, you know, sailed along under the radar as this niche little product until something happened that sent demand for jeans through the roof, seemingly overnight. What happened was World War II. Because in World War II, in the 40s, hundreds of thousands of American young men shipped off to war. And the military discovered 
The same thing that the gold prospectors and the ranchers had discovered, which is that denim made an excellent work pant for men who were being deployed. And so the military ordered pairs of jeans by the hundreds of thousands. And so for the first time, you have hundreds of thousands of American young men putting on a pair of jeans in the war. And at the same time, there are hundreds of thousands of men going off to war. There are hundreds of thousands of women going into the workplace for the first time to to fill the roles that the men had left. And of course, it's not safe to wear a skirt in a factory. So for the first time for many of those women, they found themselves wearing pants in a professional setting. So the war ends and the men come home and they say, you know what? Those pants were amazing. I think I want to keep wearing them. And so demand for blue jeans goes through the roof. And all of a sudden, what was a niche product becomes a foundational part of the American wardrobe. Similar thing happens with women. They return back to their traditional work, but they've had a taste of the freedom of wearing pants, and they say, hey, we're going to keep doing this. And so what we see through the rest of the 20th century is the ripple effect of this huge, disruptive, traumatic event of World War II. We see the ripple effect into the mainstream culture. And the ripple happened slowly. It wasn't overnight, but it brought us to this point 80 years later where 100 women are comfortable in here wearing pants. Nobody thinks a thing of it. At least a few of us are comfortable wearing jeans. Okay, so why do I tell you this story? Well, I've been in travel journalism about 20 years now. And one of the big things we do in travel journalism is report on travel trends. And so that means over the years, I've spent hundreds and hundreds of hours interviewing people like you and and thought leaders and people on the DMO side and people on the buyer side. And for most of that time, it's been fairly straightforward to talk about and write about and report on travel trends. Wasn't that difficult to do. But I don't know if you guys have noticed, but we've been through a little bit of a disruption in travel the past two or three years. (laughs) Things have been a little bit rocky. And that's actually made it a little bit challenging to talk about travel trends. So I'll be completely honest. Last year, when Monica Smith reached out to me and invited me to come speak to you guys today, she, she asked if I would speak to you about new trends and new horizons in travel. And I said, absolutely. Because when Monica invites you to speak at Domestic Showcase, you say, absolutely. (laughs) And I hung up the phone, and I thought, holy cow, what am I going to (laughs) do? Because the truth is, I have no idea. I have no idea what the real trends are. Because when you go through a period of massive disruption like we've been through, it can be really difficult to separate the trends from the trauma. See, we've been through a lot of trauma, and a lot of the stuff we've been dealing with and that you guys have been dealing with for three years is trauma. The mask wars were trauma. 
canceling and rebooking and canceling and rebooking and canceling and rebooking was trauma. Wondering whether you were gonna have a job or whether you were gonna lose your company, that was trauma. But those aren't the trends that are shaping the future of our industry. But we've all been so consumed with the trauma of what we've been through, it's been tough to see the trends that are emerging. It's been tough to, to separate the signal from the noise and to know which is which. But what I found helpful was I thought about what happened with pants. Because I think the pants pattern actually gives us a pretty good paradigm for viewing disruptive periods and trying to forecast how they're gonna change the mainstream going forward. See, blue jeans didn't just appear on the scene in World War II. It was a movement for 70 years beforehand. And it was a little bit under the radar, it was a little bit niche, but it was going, it was going, it was going until when the disruptive event happened, it was positioned in absolutely the right place. And so after it got vaulted into the center of culture, it had a chance to ripple out into the mainstream. And so if we wanna talk about the trends that will be shaping the future of tourism, I think we need to look for things that follow that pattern. What was happening in our culture before 2020 that maybe we didn't pay much attention to because let's face it, we were all riding high in 2019 and 2020, right? Because 2020 was supposed to be the best year ever, yeah? So we weren't paying a lot of attention to these trends because we were busy doing the things we were doing. But then in the disruption of the pandemic, some of these things got vaulted to the spotlight center stage. And so if we look at the things that were picking up steam beforehand and then got vaulted to center stage, I think we can start to kind of forecast how they may shape tourism going forward. So that's what we're doing today. The title is Travolution. That's a word I made up. Travolution. And we're going to talk about three cultural trends that are reshaping tourism. And jump right into it. Trend number one. There is a growing need for affordability in our culture. A growing need for affordability in our culture. Rising costs of travel and, and of everything else, frankly, are changing who is able to travel and where they go. I just came back from a spring break trip with my family, my wife and two kids. Uh, we flew through Atlanta on Monday on the way home. And uh, we stopped at a fast food counter in the Atlanta airport, bought the same meal we would buy at that same fast food restaurant at home. Yes, I feed my kids fast food. I'm a bad father, I know. Four meals in the Atlanta airport, fast food, not even a table to sit at. $62. Y'all, that ain't right. It's not right. But I don't need to tell you that the cost of travel is skyrocketing. And it's easy to say, well, yeah, Brian, inflation, you know, the cost of everything's going up, inflation, it happened because of, well, we won't talk about why it happened. But it's not just inflation. I wanna show you some trends in hotel pricing over the past 10 years. Average daily rates for hotel rooms across the US. This is the best way to track the price of hotels, which is a, a proxy for the price of travel. We're gonna start in 2012. The average daily rate for a room in the US was $106. Call me old fashioned, but that still sounds about right to me. $106. 
Now we fast forward seven years, 2019, right before the pandemic, that's gone up to $131, a 24% increase over seven years. Double the rate of inflation. The cost of travel was going up before the pandemic. Regardless of inflation, travel was getting more expensive, but we didn't notice because we were all too busy having the best years ever. Of course, prices crater for a year or two, but then by last year, as you all know, they went even higher, $148 last year, a 13% increase in three years, unprecedented, staggering. And in case you were hoping that it might get better, I'm afraid I have bad news. The, the folks that forecast this kind of stuff think we're gonna see an ADR of $152 a night in 2023. So if you add up all of those little percentages at the bottom, what you're gonna see is a 40% increase in average daily rate over 13 years. More than twice the rate of inflation. Travel is getting more expensive. It was before the pandemic. The pandemic has only made it worse. Why do I say worse? Because for some of you in this room, a higher hotel rate is good news. I understand that. And I don't begrudge you that. But it's important to know that for many, many, many people, a higher hotel rate and all the associated rising expenses that come with it mean making some tough decisions about whether you're going to take that trip or not. For many of your buyers, your customers, it means making some difficult decisions about whether to take that trip or not. And this isn't just anecdotal. Skift did some research in December and found that 34% of Americans expect to spend less on travel in 2023, quote, because of the high price of travel products. A third of American travelers are saying, y'all, it's too expensive. I'm out, or I'm doing less, or I'm, I'm traveling not as far. I'm spending less because it's just getting to be too much. And this isn't the, you know, the lower quintile of Americans who can't afford to travel at all. No, this is people who do travel, who have some expendable resources, some disposable income. A third of them are saying, it's too expensive. I gotta make some changes. And you might think, well, you know, maybe that uh, fall in demand will help even out prices. Maybe things will normalize a little bit. The problem is that although leisure travel has been high, business travel has still not recovered to pre-pandemic levels, nor has international inbound travel to the U.S. So even if American consumers don't spend as much on travel this year, more and more business travelers and international travelers are coming in to fill their void, and they're keeping prices high. You know, when it comes to jeans, if my Levi's get too expensive, I have some options. I can switch to Lee. Or if I get desperate enough, I can buy Wranglers. But travel is not fungible in that way. Travel's not a commodity in that way. And a lot of the places your travelers want to go are very specific places. And you can't just swap out one city for another city and, and say it's all the same, but I saved some cash, the way you can maybe swap out your jeans. So if we really want to get our heads around what a vexing problem this is, I think we actually need to look at those really popular places that many of you guys have gone on tours that many of your people want to go to. 
Organization did a study last October of average daily rates in some of the most popular cities in the US. I'm gonna show you some of the rates they found. 198 in Dallas, 225 in Nashville, 255 in Austin, 262 in Boston. That's average. That's not a full service hotel downtown, that's in Hampton Inn by the interstate. Average. And so for a lot of middle-class families, middle-class couples, the kind of people that take your trips, they're looking at these numbers and saying, I just can't, I just can't. I got an email from a tour operator friend just yesterday who said, uh, I've taken a, a group to this one very popular city in the South, I won't name it. I've taken a group there every year for 10 years, but the room rate has gone up 300% since COVID and I just can't. So I'm having to redo my entire itinerary to go to other parts of the state and skip the city that everybody wants to go to. So we've got this issue of these big popular places that many people wanna to go to, but they're also getting very, very expensive and it's kind of creating this perfect storm of destinations that are super crowded, they're super expensive, and the visitor experience is actually suffering because of it. One of the things I get to do at the Group Travel Leaders host our podcast called Gather and Go. Uh, a couple months ago, I interviewed Bruce Poontip, who's the founder of G Adventures, uh, considered a, a real innovator, one of the, the godfathers of adventure group tourism. He had something really interesting to say on this topic. I want to actually show you uh, what he said. We were talking about these very popular destinations that are very expensive and very crowded, and he told me this. He said, famous destinations are no longer tourist destinations. They run closer to theme parks. You line up in rows just like you would a ride at Disney. And as a result, he said, people want to go more and more remote. Now, Bruce is amazing. I, I, this was an incredible interview. I would love for you to hear it, so I put this QR code up here. Uh, you can scan it. It will take you right to that episode. But I believe Bruce is absolutely right. The visitor experience is getting so expensive and also so difficult in some of these places that a lot of people are just saying, I'm out. I'm going to find somewhere else to go. So what does that mean for the people in this room? Well, maybe you're one of the fortunate few that serves an upscale clientele and I'm happy for you. And so maybe your travelers aren't price sensitive and you can continue going to all the top places and having all the great experiences. Awesome. But for many, many of us, we're working with a market that is price sensitive. And so as prices go up, we either need to find new ways to provide value that is commensurate with these prices that are sky high. Or we need to start really, really getting creative and working with some partners that can provide some alternative destinations and experiences and activities that are still amazing, will still surprise and delight your travelers, but aren't gonna cost an arm and a leg. There's a growing need for affordability in our culture and it's changing who can travel and where they go. That's trend number one. Trend number two, there is a growing need for community growing need for community. There's a crisis of friendship right now in the United States, and it's actually increasing the value of the relational aspect of group travel. 
There's a crisis of friendship in the United States. We all saw this, of course, during the pandemic, during the quarantine period, everybody was locked in their homes. We only saw people on Zoom, it was miserable. People felt isolated, mental health suffered. That's trauma. But again, this didn't start in the pandemic. This friendship crisis has been brewing for a long, long time, and it's a very big deal. What's going on? Well, families are more dispersed around the country than they've ever been. People don't have family to rely on the way they used to. Participation in cultural institutions, churches, secular institutions, social clubs, it's at an all-time low. And then there's social media, which ironically, although it was supposed to connect us, is actually making us feel more isolated and lonely than ever. You see this effect most starkly in in young people, unfortunately. For 10 years or so, we've beat up on millennials as being the the most self-obsessed generation ever to live, and they are. And then we've got Gen Z entering the workforce now. There might be some Gen Z in the room. If some of you are Gen Z, I want you to know I love you. I love your generation. There's some amazing things about Gen Z. But if I can generalize for a little bit, your generation learned your social skills online, and it shows. A friend, uh, a friend told me yesterday that apparently the newest trend for college students is to watch other people read them bedtime stories on TikTok. That's what Gen Z is doing. That's where their social skills are. Now, they won't have a face-to-face conversation with a stranger, but they'll let somebody on the internet read them bedtime stories. There's a crisis of friendship in the United States, not just anecdotal. Insurance company Cigna did a big study on this last year. I want to show you some results they found. 58% of adults qualify for the clinical definition of loneliness. 58% of American adults. Guys, that's a crisis. And it's difficult for some of us in this room to relate to because in tourism, we're people people, right? We love people. We're outgoing. We can't imagine not having friends. We can't imagine not striking up conversations. But for a lot of Americans, they don't have enough people to talk to. You know, what's more striking is traditionally we think of senior citizens as being, you know, the the people who are most vulnerable to loneliness. But people in that demographic were much less lonely than the average American. Only 41% of them meet that definition. That's still too many. But I think it's because older people are still most likely to participate in those cultural institutions, the churches and social clubs and all that sort of thing, that young people have kind of abandoned. What happens when we look at Gen Z? Honestly, it's heartbreaking. 79% of Gen Z meet the clinical definition of loneliness. Guys, that's a crisis. This is a full blown crisis. It's bad news for our culture. Strangely, though, it's actually good news for us. Because in a digital world, travel remains one of the few fundamentally analog experiences. You cannot put what we do on the web. 
People tried during the pandemic. It didn't work. You can't make travel a digital product. And one of the cool things about travel is it supercharges the process of building relationships. Traveling with somebody is like squirting lighter fluid on a campfire. It takes the, the slow and, and subtle process of building a friendship and ignites it. And when you travel with people, you can make friends very quickly, build very close bonds in a way that would take you weeks or months or years seeing each other casually at home. And it's, just, it's not just me noticing this. People are catching on. Travelers are catching on. There's a big tour company called Exodus Travel did a, a study of their customers last year. And they found some remarkable things. Number one was that 77% of their customers have made lifelong friendships while traveling. 77%. That's amazing. 33% reported a vacation romance. We're not going to talk about trade show romances. <laughs> you know who you are. We do too. 25% have made a best friend on the road. That warms my heart. 71% believe travel can deepen existing bonds. The public is realizing how valuable travel experiences can be to help them build relationships. I uh, read an article just a week ago about a tour company uh, that serves specifically young professional women in their 30s and 40s, takes them on trips abroad. But the purpose, the very existence of this company is to help them make friends. Travel is a conduit to help them make friends. They're not going on trips together because they can't book a trip for themselves. They're not going together because they need safety in numbers. It's none of that stuff. They're going on these trips because they're lonely and they need to find friends. And this company is thriving. Somebody else I talked to uh, on the podcast recently was a guy named Ian Kiner. He runs the sales department for Kentucky, which is a, a tour company that serves, serves the 18 to 35 market people that we would traditionally think are not interested in group travel. He told me something fascinating I want to share with you. He said, the group experience is significantly powerful for our travelers. A community is forged through travel. And especially coming out of the last few years of the pandemic, the opportunity to get out of the virtual space and forge new relationships face-to-face -face is immensely powerful. So this youngest generation, the most lonely generation, they're also discovering that traveling in groups is powerful for building relationships and making friends. So although there is a loneliness crisis in America, we in tourism have a huge opportunity to be part of the solution. There's a growing need for community in our culture. And as a result, people are waking up to the value of shared travel experiences. And that's good news for us. That's trend number two. Coming down to the last trend. We've talked about affordability. We've talked about community. Now we need to talk about diversity. There's a growing need for diversity in our culture. Now I need to stop right here. 
and say something really, really important, and I'm, I'm not joking. I really need you guys to hear me on this. This is not a political statement. Unfortunately, diversity as a concept has gotten caught up in the culture war that is consuming every element of our lives and our discourse. And so for some of you, when somebody says the word diversity, that's a buzzword, either that you really love or that you really hate. And when you hear somebody talk about diversity, you associate it with a certain political point of view. This is not political. This is not ideological. This is not about who's woke, who's not woke, whether woke is a good thing. It's not about any of that. It's just about demographics. It's about who we are as a people and how our makeup is changing. America is becoming more and more diverse by the day. And our culture is valuing that diversity more and more and seeking more of it. Certainly the events of 2020 and the murder of George Floyd and all, all the other difficult things that we've been through in the area of race and diversity, they, they shone a spotlight on that and intensified the conversation around that, but it's not new. It wasn't new in 2020. This is something that has been growing more and more important as America grew more and more diverse. So we have this cultural focus on diversity that is changing what travelers want to do when they travel. It's changing what they expect out of their destinations, and it's changing what they expect out of their travel providers. Let's look at some data. There's an online travel club of minority travelers that they've got like 50,000 members. It's called No Madness Travel. And uh, they did a study last year that they called um, the BIPOC Diversity and Travel Consensus. And what they found was that 95% of black indigenous people of color, BIPOC travelers, 95% prefer to do business with local vendors of color when traveling. This was a study of 5,000 of their members. 95% is as close as you can get to unanimous in a study that big. This might as well be 100%. 100% of minority travelers said they want to do business with local minority business owners when they travel. And just in case you think, well, this is an online community and this is a very, you know, like young, you know, hip thing and maybe this doesn't reflect uh, the overall demographic, I want to point out that the average age in this study was 43. That's older than me. And, and that's about the average age of the African-American community in America in general. So what this is really telling us is that virtually everybody who identifies as minority, virtually everybody who travels of any age that identifies as a minority wants to see themselves represented in the places they go. And they want to work with travel vendors who recognize that we are not all the same. And that recognize that the mainstream stories that we're used to telling ourselves don't reflect the deep and rich diversity of our country. And one of the things I love about Levi's is that they have like 20 different cuts of jeans for men. And you know, a bazillion colors. And I love that because we're not all the same. And so I've found the kind of Levi's that I love the fit. I love the way they feel. They fit just right. 
But Levi's recognize that we're all really diverse and we all need different things. And thank God for that. Because can you imagine if the only option we had was skinny jeans? I tried one time to put on a pair of skinny jeans. I got one leg in, partway. It's like trying to shove a honey-baked ham down a tube sock. It was not happening. So thank God I don't have to wear skinny jeans. But the challenge for tourism is that for too long, our products have been relatively homogenous. And we haven't done a great job of highlighting the diversity in the places we go and giving minorities and disadvantaged communities an opportunity to showcase what they have to offer travelers. But more and more travelers are looking for those experiences. Here's my last podcast plug. I spoke to Stephanie Jones, who is a leader in uh, helping the travel industry grow in its diversity efforts. Here's something she told me. She said, a lot of DMOs don't even know who the black stakeholders are within their destination. They're leaving out marketing diverse tourism products and experiences that inbound travelers are often seeking to have. Those authentic experiences often exist in those off-the-beaten-path communities. Now, DMOs, I don't want to beat up on you, but Stephanie's kind of calling you out. And what she's saying is that there are local guides, storytellers, transportation companies, restaurants, hotel companies, other tourism entrepreneurs of color. They are in your community. But if you haven't done the work of identifying them and then helping resource and platform them so that they can get into our industry on a level footing, then you're doing them a disservice, you're doing your community a disservice, and you're doing your travelers a disservice because those are experiences they want to have. And this isn't just about like a feel-good thing. It's not just about doing the right thing. It's not just about a moral decision. This is a smart business decision. In fact, if we don't get on board with this trend, it's going to cost us business. Consulting firm Accenture did a study last year of about 2,700 American travelers. And what they found was that 31% described themselves as likely or extremely likely to switch to a travel company that emphasizes inclusion and diversity. 31% of American travelers, that's a third. What they're saying is, hey, I'm, I'm realizing more and more that diversity is important and that including multiple points of view is important. And if I find that a travel vendor doesn't share those values that I do, I'm willing to go find another travel vendor because it's that important to me. 31%. What happens if we drill down on younger travelers? 49% of millennials and Gen Z are willing to take their business elsewhere if they feel like your company, your destination, your hotel doesn't share their values around diversity. Now again, I'm not trying to make this political. It shouldn't be political. This is a business decision. And you might say, well, you know, my travelers, they don't think that way. They're kind of old-fashioned, yada, yada, yada. Well, 
fine. But if you want to be in business, when millennials are ready to travel in groups, if you don't want to lose that 31% of overall American travelers who are willing to take their business elsewhere, then maybe it's time to start thinking about this. I'm not here to browbeat you. I'm not here to preach to you. I think it's good business. There's a growing emphasis on diversity in our culture, and it's changing what people expect from their destinations and their travel providers. So that's it. Affordability, community, diversity. Those are the trends that I see reshaping tourism in the next 10 years. And the companies and the people that are going to succeed are going to be the people that can get in front of those trends, rise to the challenge, and meet the culture where it is. So we've been talking this morning about how culture is shaping tourism. But I also believe that tourism can help shape the culture. Guys, our culture is a mess right now. It's a mess. We've talked about some of it. There's other stuff we haven't even touched. The political polarization, the fighting. It's dangerous. We're in a bad place as a culture. But one thing that I have learned about travel is that it is incredibly powerful for bringing people together. It's hard to hate somebody after you've shared a meal with them. And if you're from a blue state and you travel to a red state, or you're from a red state and you travel to a blue state, well, those people may not change the way you vote, but hopefully spending some time with them will help you understand that they're good people too. And you may not agree on some things, but you don't have to hate them. That's powerful, and that's something we can do. Can tourism single-handedly change the culture in America? No. But every time you get somebody on a trip and expose them to an experience that they didn't think they could afford, every time you help connect some travelers and they grow a friendship, every time you help open somebody's mind a little bit to understand people who are different than themselves, every time you do that, you're nudging the culture just a little bit more in the right direction. And so the work you do matters, not just because it's your job, not just because it's your business, not just because it's fun. It matters because we're pushing back on a culture that really needs a nudge in the right direction. So maybe that's what a travolution is after all. Well, I sure hope that you enjoyed that content. Uh, I definitely enjoyed uh, the process of researching and learning about and compiling all those ideas. And it was, of course, a blast to share that with the crowd there at Domestic Showcase and certainly a pleasure to share it with you in our podcast audience as well. Now, as you listen through to that, you probably heard me reference a lot of data, a lot of statistics, a lot of things that might be helpful to have or to learn more about. But of course, you maybe didn't have an opportunity to jot them all down. Well, don't worry. Uh, I'm going to link to a full slide deck from the presentation. I'm going to link to a various number of resources from that talk. And I'm going to link to the various podcast episodes that I mentioned in the talk so that you can find all those resources whenever you need them. Those links are all in the show notes with this episode. Now, if you don't know what show notes are, if you're listening to this episode in a podcast app, 
on your phone. Well, show notes are uh, just the text that are, uh, is listed right below the episode in the player as you listen. But you can also come to our website, grouptravelleader.com slash podcast. That's a listing of all our podcast episodes. Find the page for this episode, Travolution. Click on the link to that page and there you will find the entire post for this episode with all of the links and downloads and other resources I mentioned. I hope they're helpful to you and that you will make the most of them as you plan, promote, and lead better trips. Well, that's about it for this episode of the podcast. But hey, I would love to get your feedback both on this content and on the podcast in general. Uh, If you have ideas or thoughts or questions you'd love to share, I am always eager to hear those. You can reach me anytime at podcast at grouptravelleader.com. I read every email that comes into that address and I would love to hear from you. And hey, while you are in the mood to share some feedback, would you do me a favor? If you haven't already, go to your favorite podcast player find gather and go and hit that follow or subscribe button so that you get the next episode of the podcast automatically each time it comes out. And while you're there, do me a favor, leave us a rating, give us a review. We would love to hear what you think of the podcast. And that really helps us as we get the word out. Now, next time I'm going to bring you a great interview with Ann Davis of Cruises and Tours Worldwide, who is going to give us an introduction to the world of planning cruises for groups. She has lots and lots of experience in this area and lots of great insight that is going to help you figure out how to incorporate cruising into your group travel program. You're not going to want to miss that. Until then, though, remember this. At the end of the day, we're all on this trip together. So let's make it a good one. See you next time on Gather and Go. Gather and Go is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Jewell. Our publisher is Mac Lacey. Danya Simmons is our creative director. Ashley Ricks is our circulation manager and graphic designer. Our sales team is Kyle Anderson and Bryce Wilson. To advertise on the podcast, call Kyle or Bryce at 859-253-0455. Gather and Go is a production of the Group Travel Leader. For more information on our podcast, magazines, and events, visit us online at grouptravelleader.com. Travel Leader.com.